Welcome to Not Just Pretty Pictures. I'm Eric Rutherford. Today, we have a very special guest. We'll be talking to Marlon James, the Booker Award winner, creative writing teacher, and New York Times bestselling author of Black Leopard, Red Wolf. We will talk about the process of writing, what it takes to shape an authentic story, and whether some people should just toss it all and start from the beginning again. Lots of great insights into storytelling. There might even be a moment of truth about my own writing that made me question my intentions. But before we start with Marlon, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have taken a moment to listen to the stories and our featured writers in this first season of Not Just Pretty Pictures. When we began to nurture this idea and begin to build this space, we didn't know how it might look, how many guests there might be. We really didn't have any idea what this final result would be. But what we did know is that we wanted to make a welcome space for everyone and for all stories, big and small, personal and powerful, and positive. I've always believed in the power of storytelling, whether written in a book or on a stage or up on the screen. I used to use books to escape when I was a kid, when I was growing up, to heal, to connect to other worlds, to other people, to laugh, to learn, to have a better understanding of the world around me, certainly to learn new ways in expressing my thoughts and my feelings. I also learned lines of dialogue to express myself in plays like Alice in Wonderland or, or when I was on TV and speaking lines on the show Friends. I poured my heart out into long passages in my journal and wrote some very, very bad poetry to describe love and loss. It was all about writing words and sharing those words, getting those words outside of myself and onto a page, finding words and stories in different ways to explore my identity and expand my experiences, just like many of you. You know, we post pictures to capture a moment or a mood touching the surface, and then, and then we go deeper through our words. You know, Jocelyn talked about feeling empowered when she put into words about breaking the status quo of what it meant to be feminine or masculine. Russ layered in poetry when he wrote about the emotional life of a man and expressing those emotions. Miss J's confidence and clarity came through from his mind with the beats of emotion describing his feelings of otherness. Sharon shared many vivid details of her present and past that she painted the most beautiful picture of someone who is thriving after nearly dying. I'm grateful to all of them for sharing their time and their words and entrusting us to lift up their stories with respect and kindness. I have the deepest respect for those of you who write and fill a blank page we might not all write the next modern masterpiece or sell millions of copies or even hundreds of copies of a book that we put out there. But we all do have stories to add and to share. You know, once we allow ourselves to open up to listening to each other, we get to shed a light on someone else. We get to understand someone else's experience. We get to grow. We create empathy. A writer said to me, 
You know, when we share our stories, it's about more than just being liked. Like when we post a picture on Instagram, it's about truly being seen. Because so often those pictures, as much as we all like a pretty picture, don't tell the whole story. I also want to take a moment to thank my partners, Phineas and Courtney at Stereotype Studio. Without their belief in this idea, it never would have began. I am deeply grateful for their time, their talent, their support, <laughs> and, and their constant willingness to listen to me as I go on and on and on, playing with my own insecurities about what it is that we're doing and always coming back around and, sit and believing in what we've created. You know, and to Chris and Laura, the creatives who stepped in to help us, thank you. You helped shape this vision. To my family, to my partner James, to all our friends and supporters, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. <laughs> thank you for subscribing. And thank you for your encouragement to keep going and sharing these stories. And now, my conversation with Marlon James. Hello, Marlon James. How are you? I am doing fine, Eric. How's it going? It's pretty good. I'm very excited for you to be here. Thank you for saying yes to coming on Not Just Pretty Pictures. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. First, I want to say, um, one, uh, we are all uh, grateful and thrilled that you are taking the time out of your day to come and talk with us. And I want to give the listeners a little of the backstory mm -hmm. on how you and I met, which I, it's such a New York moment, certainly for me. <laughs> and I'm sure you can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, so as you all know, um, Sharon Stone was, uh, we, she's a part of our podcast and we read her story and we had a great conversation with her and she happened to be in New York last week. Mm -hmm. And so Sharon, uh, she invited me to come. I, we had never met in person, and yet we have this incredible relationship with this bond that we have. And I walk into this vast artist studio in um, lower Manhattan, and you know, it went through all these catacombs and these underground spaces and these doors and everything to get to this space. And in I walk, and there's Sharon, and we're having this lovely conversation. And then all of a sudden, this magnificent presence enters the room <laughs> and it stops me mid conversation with Sharon and I look over and it's Marlon mm -hmm. and I was so fascinated and drawn to you and then you and Sharon went and disappeared and are having this conversation around the corner and I wanted to be a part of that conversation and then the wonderful thing is you came back around and then we started talking and mm -hmm. um I felt immediately this connection to you mm -hmm. and from what the things that we talked about and you being in Minnesota and being a writer and then sharing about the podcast and, and immediately it was like, I want, I, I need, and I want to spend more time with you. So, mm -hmm. you know, the great thing is we were going to go have coffee and yet here yeah. we are today instead. So I promise you, I'm still taking you to coffee. Okay, good. Cause I like a free meal. Perfect. Well, you know, meal included. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> But again, thank you for coming on. You know, and uh, one of the things I want to say to the listeners, mm. Marlon has a fantastic podcast called Marlon and Drake Read Dead People. 
and you're and that's talking with Jake Morrissey, right? Your editor. Right. My editor. Yeah. And you're getting ready to launch, I think, your second season. We're right? Yeah, we're ready to launch a second season is us again fighting over books. Right. <laughs> written by dead people. Well, right. dead, well, people who are now dead. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it began as, as it's, it's the kind of arguments Jake and I always had. And people would walk in on us having some big fight about did Hamlet delay or not? And I'm right. like, or is Hamlet a wuss or not? Right. And... And I think because we, 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 we tend to argue about literature as if we're talking about real people. And I think that's what um, drew people in, that we just, I'm not interested in talking about literature like it's some institution right. that we have to like sort of bow and respect. Like, I think it's perfectly reasonable to hate a book. <laughs> read it, read it and hate it though. Don't hate it and dismiss it, read it and hate it. That's a really, that's a good point. Like before, which I think I, you know, I, you and I even chatted a little, a little, a little about mm. it in the sense of with social media, people are so ready to judge or ready to mm -hmm. give an opinion. And they even either haven't read it, watched it, listened to mm -hmm. it, read the article, met the person, but everyone is ready to post something before they've yeah. actually taken it. And to your point, yes, have an opinion, mm -hmm. but, but be informed. I, I, without fail, nine times out of ten when I'm on book tour, and I, and and without fail, I get the what the the really hostile person in the audience, the person who really came there to attack, to shut down, to such and such, and nine times out of ten, you can hit them back with the very same question: Did you read the book? Oh. And usually they haven't. Right. I go, and I'm not going to. I'm like, then you're in the wrong place tonight, girl. <laughs> Marlon, I think I well, I know that's one of the things that I enjoy talking about you. And then again, I went and read about some of your other interviews, some stories mm -hmm. that you've written. You know, there was that piece that you wrote. Uh, I think it was from Jamaica to Minnesota to myself. Mm -hmm. You know, and I love, you know, and as much as you're sharing your opinion and your critical thinking and how you got there and the work that you've put in, there's also, you bring some fun to it. You bring some levity, some lightness and the ability to laugh at yourself, but also to laugh at kind of things or things around you or people's opinions and not take it too seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, which I think we could all use a little dose of that. Well, I mean, I guess it's part of this Jamaican proverb, you know, it's like, if you don't laugh, you can cry. Um, kind of thing. And it's, it's funny, usually if people know me first through my books, they're surprised I have a sense of humor since a lot of dark stuff happened in those yes. books. Yes. Although the characters still laugh at them. Um, but you know, the funny thing is one of my many, many former lives is I used to write comedy monologues for nighttime show hosts. You did? Oh, it was Jamaican TV, doesn't count. Still but though. Still. <laughs> but yeah, I used to write comedy. Um, so it, meaning that it's, it's, that is very important to me. Even the characters in my book who go through a lot of trauma, a lot of times they spend with each other, they're just laughing or they're making jokes or they're laughing at somebody's expense. Right. Um, because it, it really is medicine humor, you know, and it, it really is, it really is one of the best ways we have to sort of get through a difficult thing. I agree. I agree. Again, that's, you know, that actually segues right into part of the reasons, one of the reasons I wanted to do not just pretty pictures, right? I, mm -hmm. I 
I believe in, we, you know, we learn from each other about sharing our stories, mm -hmm. you know, and it can't just be stories about trauma. Right. You know, even though I think those are valuable as well, I think we, by sharing those, we release them. I think we, we, um, help other people. We heal through sharing those stories. We heal by mm -hmm. getting them out. Uh, we create community around them. And also what needs to be weaved into that, or I certainly feel is the positivity about it. The, the ability to look back at and to find the humor or find, even if it's twisted, dark irony, right. Mm -hmm. To be able to look back and laugh. I mean, even. You know, I wrote this story um, you know, I shared this week about um, getting sober, right? And mm -hmm. one of the lines I'd written is like, and I meant it very humorously, but also darkly, like, what do you wear to say you're an alcoholic? Mm -hmm. And I was, I remember I was so spun up and um, just completely beside myself and everything, but I was yeah. also laughing. I mean, it's comical. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's valuable, and I, I know that's one of the things that I enjoy about you and, and your commentary, and even with mm. you and Jake talking about dead people and authors and everything, but finding mm. even in the darkest darkest subject matter, which again mm. this podcast talks about, or mm -hmm. certainly will say shares, um, you find the lightness, and I wanted this podcast to be positive. Yeah, well, I think part of it, a huge part of it, is that we, as a default, skew negative. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, um, nobody says they won. Nobody says they won silver. They say they lost gold. Good point. Yeah, you know, it's it's um yeah, it, and 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 we've been we've been kind of we've been kind of um you know raised that way, and 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 you know, I was I was I was talking to a friend of mine who broke up with their broke up with their boyfriend, and it hit me that the only time. You know, she talked about, uh, actually, no, it was my friend and her girlfriend. Well, same thing, the relationships in general. Right. And I realized the only time these people or when we talk about our partners is when we have a problem with them. Okay, fine. We want to work that out. But it means my entire perception of this person is all the negative stuff you told me. Yes. So then when you get back together with this person, I'm like, why are you getting back with that monster? Yes. Uh, as I, then I, then I said, I said, I said, you know what you need to do? You need to tell me the boring stuff. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. You know, you need to tell me the good stuff. Cause the only time you bring up, we bring up our partners is when we are fighting or we have a problem with them. And that creates this warped idea of the person. Cause mm -hmm. all I know from this person is negative data. So she wonders, or they wonder, why are we not friends? I'm like, I'm not going to be friends with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> So there was, you know, even, there was, I was watching, I, listen, I agree with you, you know, it's, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, you know, people will come to me for advice or just because I'm older. Right. And they think that mm -hmm. I might know more, certainly might have experienced more, but I don't know everything for sure, mm -hmm. but certainly have an opinion and they will share that and they will have only shared or come to me when they're, you know, when it is the bad stuff or they had a huge fight or they just, mm -hmm. I can't deal with this anymore. And, you know, I, I kind of tell them to take a pause. Yeah. And okay, well, because I'm also a firm believer is there's two sides to every street, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and that's one thing, certainly in sobriety, they talk about like, keep your side of the street clean mm -hmm. and, and don't, don't jump on or criticize someone else's side because you actually don't know what's going on, on that other side. So when yeah. someone comes to me for that advice, or certainly from my uh, perspective, I try to get to find out about the other person as well, because of everything mm -hmm. that you've just told me. 
I'd say leave. I'd say pack up. Why are you staying? It's mm-hmm. funny. I was watching. Um, I'm catching up on Handmaid's Tale. And one of the yeah. characters said to someone last night, because they made a similar decision, event they're mm-hmm. staying. And the one, and one character said, why don't you tell me the full story while you're doing this? Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> um, I have some friends like that. It, even in the midst of a conflict, I'd be like, you know, but I know the other person well enough to know there's a fully legit other side to this. Yes. And I'm not saying, and, and honestly, not everything has two sides. Um, but I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, my, I, I talked to my, you know, one of the things that my therapist always reminds me of when I are, when I, when I'm complaining about my relationship is that bear in mind, I'm giving you advice on your perception of a person. I have yes. no idea if this guy is like what you were saying. So don't go and go, my therapist said, because it's like, my therapist said, based on the raw data, I gave him about you. Yes, yeah. true. Well, I think you even going back to even just writing, because you also teach creative writing, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you were saying something, um, are you maybe even talking about with Jake, but you're talking about people that write memoirs you know, our right. autobiographies and, you know, um, you had said in, in someone writing, I think it was about a memoir that you had said, you'd rather them tell their story, how they want to tell it. And it, everything doesn't, it comes from their perspective. Right. Whereas mm-hmm. Jake was saying he wants facts. Right. And if it's, and if it's well-written, then that's, he'd prefer that because it, or if it, if you add the detail and you create the narrative that it will be as entertaining as maybe just shaped to your perspective. And, you know, when we, when I was inviting people to be a part of the podcast and, you know, I asked them to write, you know, I suggested they write about certain themes or something that they wanted to share. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wanted them to kind of open up and Mm -hmm. write from their experience. Like, you know, Miss J talked about, uh, wrote about otherness, Mm -hmm. you know, when he, he struggled with uh, trying to put, you know, words down to paper. Right. Because, his experience, he had never really felt othered until he looked at it from a different perspective in his life. And then he was able to write about it. You know, one of the things I teach my students when I teach nonfiction, and it's usually a memoir and essay and so on, is just remember your 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 memoir is still one person's opinion. And also, you know, how how we remember something is interesting. Patricia Hample has this essay called Memory and Imagination. And it starts so with her talking about going to piano lessons. And she had a really strict teacher. And there was another student who was better than her. And in the midst of writing this, she remembers, but well, hold on, I never did piano lessons. I certainly didn't have this girl in, uh, in this other girl who was better. And she says, this is as vivid as I could possibly remember. She said, but I didn't do this. And then she goes into this exploration of what memory, where memory ends and imagination begins and how in a lot of ways, memory is not memory so much as how you choose to remember. Yes. And but what we need to realize is that's legit. You know, in, in French speaking countries, there is a genre called R-E-C-I-T. R-E-C-I-T. It's not nonfiction, but it's not autofiction. It's not memoir either. It's hmm. it's the past as I choose to remember it. Oh. And it's a very specific genre. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. Where, whereas I think we sometimes get very obsessed with facts.
facts. And yes. facts and truth are not the same thing. Have you in your writing, and I know you primarily focus on fiction, um, mm. you know, and what I, my writing has been primarily focused on personal essay and my experience. Mm -hmm. When you're writing, do you, in shaping the character, if it's inspired by, um, we'll say real life events, mm -hmm. do you try to find the truth and remain truthful to that? I guess, you know, what I'm relating to it's, you know, when I'm writing and I, I you know, so much of my writing comes certainly from memory, mm -hmm. but I find also from emotion. Yeah, I mean, I find it in a, you know, I don't write, I mean, I, I, I don't write as much nonfiction as fiction, but I do write personal essays a lot. And right. um, I, you know, my New York Times piece is considered a coming out, but it really is part, uh, it was really the end part of like a 15 volume thing I wrote online. And, um, you know, and it, it's, and it, a lot of it was, a lot of it was um, nonfiction. A lot of it was, getting the details right and a lot mm. of it but a lot of it was because this is what i'm interested i'm far more interested in how i felt about it at the time absolutely uh especially when you start to normalize things that shouldn't be normalized yes um you know when you normalize when you normalize um you know if i, I mean I, I didn't suffer from an abusive any form of abusive relationships but there are people who the reason why the abusive relationship continues is because they normalized it Yes. yes. I think this is I, I I remember when I read um a Toni Morrison novel, Sula, and the main character is on our deathbed. And Sula is, you know, Sula was the original bad B I T C H. Mm -hmm. And you know, and Sula is on our deathbed, and all the people who felt they've been hurt by her come for final confrontation. Right. And her best friend, who was her best friend until Sula slept with her hu husband, um, because Sula is a bad B I T C H. Right. <laughs> You know, um, says, you know, Sula talk about how she sure lived in this world and she did this and she did that. And the, the character says, then what do you have to show for it? And I remember thinking, yes, Sula, what do you have to show for it? And Sula says, show to who? And I don't have a lot of fall off the chair moments, but I had a major fall off the chair moment. Sure. With that. And usually when I talk about that, if I keep talking, I actually sometimes I've known to start crying over this because it never occurred to me at all that I could live my life just for myself. That it just didn't occur to me. It just didn't occur to me that I could actually move through life without the approval and permission of other people, about the approval of other people, even people I've never met. Mm -hmm. I'd go, I can't do that because. I mean, one thing, I, I remember I loved interior design. I absolutely loved doing it. And I'm good at it. But I didn't do it because I didn't want people to think I was gay. Yeah. yeah. And it just it just didn't occur to me. And it was a it was a character in a novel, and she said that, and it never it just didn't occur to me the idea of living your life for yourself. It just because I normalized the opposite. Sure. Sure. Let's. I can relate to that. There was a moment too. Um, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I think many of the writers too within season, even mm. like Jocelyn, she talked about breaking the status quo. Mm -hmm. You know, she transitioned, and when she did, she she was told she had to act a certain way. She had to. This was how you acted to be feminine. Mm -hmm. And for her, that didn't feel right. That was yeah. what everybody else thought. That's what the labels that they wanted to put on. You know, and and mm -hmm. so she found herself like 
getting smaller, talking lighter with a lighter mm-hmm. voice, not being like owning all aspects of herself because of what other people might think or say or how she yeah. was supposed to behave. And so she's like, wait a minute, if, if I like my bigness and if mm-hmm. you're saying my bigness is masculine, well, then I'm going to be that. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to be I've, this. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that, that, that surprises us and depresses us is when we think we've entered this realm where we're more free and more liberated, people are still restricting us. Yes. Um, yeah. that, um, even when, say, you come out, there's still people who have these very strict rules about being gay. There are people who have these very strict rules about coming out. If you didn't do it, you didn't come out. Yes. Um, it's it's it, you, because and I, on, on one hand, I get the idea if you have narrow restrictions for yourself, uh, because some people simply can't move without their own personal boundaries, their own personal definition. I get all of that. The problem is when you start to think it's that should apply to everybody else or somebody else. And I have a lot of friends and we don't really speak much anymore because of that, because they have this idea of what exactly a trans person should be or look like or so on, or what exactly, hell, what exactly a black person should be. Yes. And, 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 you know, and, and, and so like, and, 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 and I get that sometimes that comes out of an idea of community, but it still comes it's still part of this idea that we have of, um, I don't know, this sort of, I guess, tribal mentality. It's amazing hearing people talk about their individuality when all five of them look the same. <laughs> or walking down the street or you'll see people post pictures on social media or, yeah. or whatever, and they're both, and they're like, you look like, I, you all look identical. Well, you know, part of it, this is one of the things that social media did. I mean, now on social media, if you are 15, 16, hell, if you're 20, mm-hmm. You pretty much just spent 10 years of your life with 5,000 to 500,000 online friends who think exactly like you. You know, yes. who look exactly like you, who listen to exactly what you do. Then they come to a class like mine <laughs> and we say something that they didn't hear before. And half the class just totally disturbed. If they're really, really too disturbed, they're not so disturbed that they'll try to get the class banned. But it really rocks them. And it's weird. It's weird. And it's one of the things I do worry about when, you know, you know, I mean, I think we need to be careful when we talk about this diversity of opinion thing. I think if your opinion is that my I shouldn't exist, I don't think that has a right. That I don't think that opinion has any right to exist either. I agree. Um, but I do think that, um, and I don't want to fall into this, well, everybody's thinking alike. That's not necessarily true. But I do run into young people who are sometimes scared and sometimes excited by the idea that they're thinking, you know, they're thinking critically. Sure. Well, so I, I actually love that you, because in when I was reading up on you, that is one thing that you said in where you grew up, when you grew up in Jamaica, mm. there were aspects about yourself that you even stopped speaking. You were afraid to speak. And that mm-hmm. even and then you even physicalized it that you just kind of shrank in upon yourself mm-hmm. so that there was even there was even less of you to be called out or to be pointed at or to be um called gay or fat or, or you know, mm. whatever it might be. Yeah. Where when for you, because I do you did you begin to become more comfortable with your voice? the more successful you became as a writer or when you left and you went, you moved to Minnesota or when did you find yeah. that begin to shift for you? 
Yeah, I think it's a combination of those. I think it started when I when I um, started to live abroad more than 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 um, in Jamaica, and um, and and which is not to say Jamaica necessarily played a major role in it. Because usually when I tell people that, I think, oh well, because of Jamaica's homophobia, it's like, yeah, but I've never experienced that. Mm. It's that's not to say it's not there, but that was not one of the driving factors. A lot of my stuff was so internalized. It's like it's like. I don't need an outside hatred. I hate myself enough for one person. I don't need outside <laughs> factors. <laughs> it's like, I'm good. Um, I'm really good but, at that. Yeah, I don't need help. Uh, but it was, a lot of it was, um, you know, coming coming to a, coming to America. I talk about this in the essay about how I was living in the Bronx. And in the Bronx, I was dressing as thug as I could, which is hilarious. Um, and me, you know, taking the train, taking the five train to Union Square and going into the Union Square Barnes and Noble's bathroom and putting on all my gay clothes. Yeah, it really wasn't all that gay. Well, that's but, what I was, I was like. I think you described it as like your skinny jeans and like your combat your skinny boots. Skinny jeans, which are called the offender jeans. I wish those would come back. They were great. Yeah. You just can't stoop down when you wear them. No, you can't. Because then it lives up to its name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this sort of change into what I thought my tribe was. Mm-hmm. And strutting around New York, thinking I own the city, but making sure I have to get my ass back to Barnes & Noble before 10 o'clock, because then I wouldn't have anywhere to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's where I think it started. And then I realized I, I it was essential for me that that becomes my norm and I don't like the word normal in any context, um, but that becomes my usual instead of something that, you know, sure. occasionally happens. And moving to Midwest was, moving to the Midwest was, I, I mean, it's, it's, I didn't know it at the time, but moving to the Midwest also meant being away from family and being away from judgment and being away from the people. Sometimes, you know, a lot of times it's the people you love who hold you back. A hundred percent to that. Um, and it's not necessarily that they're doing it deliberately. Sometimes they're not doing it at all. Um, you just, it's my perception. But I, you know, moving to Minneapolis felt like moving to a totally blank slate. And, and a chance to sort of rebuild and reshape and turn, turn myself into, I said it in, in Minneapolis, I think I find found a version of myself that I like. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that. That's true. Oh, thank you. Well, you're welcome. I like, well, no, I listen. I think, uh, you know, we everyone goes through some transformational process, right? And and mm-hmm. and hopefully, you are constantly evolving, you know. And you're mm-hmm. finding, you know, the um, you know, Sharon even referred to it um, when we were talking, you know, with Michelangelo, the the you your true self already exists. Mm-hmm. It is chipping away that what doesn't belong. And that where you mm-hmm. then emerge and, and, you know, I, I certainly know I've gone through that process and then continuing to go that, go through that process, you mm-hmm. know, at 53, you know, um, and I'm also, as much as it, uh, it feels like, oh God, when's this going to be over? It's also exciting, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, you know, it's my, I become more clear with myself. I'm more confident in how I speak, how I think, mm-hmm. how I write, you know, mm-hmm. were, were you as a writer always um 
kind of clear or, 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 or purposeful or confident with how you expressed yourself or as you, like when you moved to Minneapolis, did you feel like you shed something and really stepped into something? Um, I thought for a lot of my writing, particularly like nonfiction writing, actually, I still thought there was a certain way one should write. Oh, and really? there's a, there's a really cool interview with William Burroughs. Um, and the person asked him, I can't even remember the question because I remember the answer. Where I think the, the question was like something about what does he think a writer should be, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember the question. I remember the answer because he says that's the first mistake there. There's no such thing as should. You know, there's no there's no such thing as what a writer should write or what it should do. But I thought so. Yeah. And 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 um and and the result was writing a lot of things that was really stilted and really not me. And it never occurred to me to like I could write the way I talk. Because not just just not how I was raised. I was raised very British colonial. Sure. Yeah. And um, which means that whenever I, you know, whenever I used to write and speak standard English, I sounded like the butler. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's colonial English. It's not the same as British English. Sure. Um. Uh, yeah. It's, so I, but I had to. I had to come into. I had to come into that voice, and a lot of it is trusting a voice that was always there. The voice was always there. Um, it's me sort of denying it, um, finding any other way to get around doing it. I wrote a novel that was written in 18th century Jamaican slave patois, Jamaican dialect. That's not how I speak, but it was a struggle to write in that way. And I fought that. I fought the character in that book every step of the way. People ask, how did it feel writing that book? And like, I felt like I just emerged from a fight that I lost. Um, because I, I, it was so hard to let go of this idea of this is what language should be. This is what English should be. This is what voice should be. Mm -hmm. And um, to let go of that, to write that and the book following was something I had to, you know, I had to learn and grow into and be comfortable, be comfortable doing. But it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was a lesson. It's, I mean, it sounds like, but it also sounds like you, you were taking the steps along the way to where you're like, this doesn't feel right. And then you're just like, you know what? I need to shake this. I need to take these pieces apart and just mm -hmm. let go and, and, and kind of jump in. Um, you know, it's one, you know, in talking with the writers, which one, one of the things that I was so thrilled about um, when I was asking people to be a part of this and write these pieces mm -hmm. was everyone to share their voice mm -hmm. and their writing style and, and how they chose to, you know, Jay, you know, when Jay wrote, it was very stream of consciousness, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, Ryan K. Russell, Russ, you know, he wrote about growing up in this, in Texas and, and without a father and, 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 and learning how to deal with emotion and grief and, and, mm -hmm. but there was even a part of it that it's almost, he, he does um, a spoken word poem within what he's written mm -hmm. about his life. And he goes in that, and there was such a rhythm Mm -hmm. You know, that was his own, which I, I so loved and appreciated. And then, you know, you read Sharon's book and she, you know, and I shared this with her. It's, it was like having that great late night conversation with mm -hmm. a close friend and how she jumped back and forth from the past to the middle, to the present, to now, to looking back through those eyes and that what she mm -hmm. learned and then, you know, and then shedding that. And so I, I, I love hearing you say that you went through that process as well as a writer, Mm -hmm. Um, cause I, I, you know, people come to me 
saying, well, how did you start writing? Or I'm not a good writer. Or, you know, I wrote this and it sucks, you know, or mm -hmm. it's too difficult. Or, you know, and I said, just start. Yeah. Yeah. It's people need to demystify writing. Um, do I think everybody in the world has a book in them? No. Um, yeah, it's, but not everybody have a song. I don't have a song in me. I, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, I, I'm perfectly fine knowing I don't have a song in me, you know, but that said, the, the, you know, the, the sort of compromises, negotiations, just pressure we put on ourselves, just in the act of taking something out of your head down on a page. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the hardest things for writers and it's, and it's not just beginning writers, everybody is how do you shut down the internal critic? Um, the person says this isn't good. The person says that that nobody will read this. Um, the person says that didn't work or so on. Well, one thing you realize is that your critical voice, that critic, that internal critic, is in person. The, the critic can. It's a very very important voice. But there are things your inner critic can't do. You know, your your inner critic can't create. I've never and thought about that that way. I, this is what I tell my students like. It's perfectly fine that you have a very, very harsh critic, you know, knock himself out. But if you're at a stage where the thing you're writing hasn't even shaped itself into being what it's going to be, mm. then your critic really doesn't serve any purpose. One of the reasons why I write early in the morning is that I am so out of it. I'm just too early in the morning to even t be harsh. I'm a big believer in that. That it's it's um and you you do learn to silence your critic. A lot of times your critic is 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 giving you third draft criticism for a first draft. Oh good. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Or or um it's in a lot of ways your critic is kind of like when other people criticize your work. And 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 I'm being a creative writing teacher, I have of course workshops, and I also have to deal with what I call serious writer, quote unquote. And serious writer isn't serious about writing. Serious writer just has no sense of humor. <laughs> right? I remember, oh, God, I clashed with a student once. And this was when I was up for tenure, so they could have fired me. I just got tired of it. I just like, you know what? I get a student like you every year. I call you all serious writer. And the only proof you have that you're any good is you saying so. <laughs> because where, where am I going with this? is that that person was just so hypercritical. And the thing about criticism that we have to be very careful about is, is the person, are the people criticizing the work or are they merely saying what they would have done if it was them? Oh. And if that's, that's awesome. what they're doing, that's not useful to you because right. they're not you. Sure. Listen, and I, I think it's hard for people. It's hard yeah. for people to do it. But as a, list, as a, as a writer, as a listener, you do have to get to the part where you can understand which criticism works for you and which one doesn't. Yes. No, I, I listen, I agree with that. I, I certainly have healthy critics. You know, I mm -hmm. also, what I have found too is because I, the, the piece that I'm working, I, I'm also in the midst of talking about first draft, second draft. I'm in the midst of mm -hmm. a second draft of a new two person play. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I had to be very selective who I let read it. Mm -hmm. because certainly my voices were very healthy and had an opinion, 
but I, I wanted to hear someone and how it was reading off, you know, separate from my interpretation, but also in writing, mm -hmm. you know, the, my, like my personal essays for this piece, mm -hmm. because they're personal, you know, and they involve my family. Right. It's a lot of times I'll hear when I'm putting my, my, you know, I'm putting it through and I'm telling, you know, there's an arc to it and the, you know, and there's a moment or something and, you know, because I'll be talking about my mother or right. I'll be talking about my father or something, you know, um, that I have to be, um, aware that mm -hmm. I am not stopping myself because from, because of not for fear of her critical voice or hurting her feelings or, or them coming back and saying, you know, no, 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 don't do this. This is too much. You know, how do you deal with a critical voice or, or is there that person is Jake, that person that you share something with or, Oh uh, yeah, I share with very few people. I have I've, re I've realized, and sometimes it's sometimes it's um it's my editor, my agent, and a friend of mine named Robert, who's a structural engineer, who's not the least bit into literary circles, and he still reads. He still reads like I like that part, and I didn't like that part, and I like her here, but I hate her there. I love that. And he he's he's stunned. I keep giving him books three, and I'm like, "You're that's exactly what I want to, you know, that I want to hear." I think you know if 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 the I think two things: if the critical voice or the people you have read your books are people who also help nurture and make the book better, I think that's great. Yes, I agree. I one thing is I never tell people. People say things like, "Read it and be brutal." I'm like, "No, read it and be humane." I don't want you to be brutal because then you're gonna use that you're gonna use that attitude to reading you know, the stuff, and you'll always find stuff that is, you know, that is bad. That said, I think you also can't have too sentimental an attachment, uh, have a, too much of a sentimental attachment to your own work. I agree. I think you also have to have a certain distance. I think you also have to have a, a slightly thick skin. Yes. But I think you also realize, you know, the, 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 you know, your stories are not your children. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, the outside opinion of it is valid and you know and you and, and it's hard it's hard especially when people haven't written a lot yes to to not clutch clutch that thing so tight to yourself and think any form of criticism is an attack oh yes it's hard it's the hardest thing in class when i have to tell when i have to tell a student that this is a bad story right i'm sure and they're I'm like what do i fix i'm like you can't fix anything you this is this is no this is dead. no yeah it's, it's never gonna work don't know it's not going to work right which i listen it can be crushing but i think at the same mm -hmm. time i'm sure that, you know I, I i have always approached something i'd rather hear the truth mm -hmm. than not because if it continues me going down a certain path or or it's certainly in writing a certain, mm -hmm. you know, overusing certain things or writing a certain way or overwriting or whatever it might be. Right. It's not beneficial whatsoever. Yeah. You know, it's, it, I was going to jump. I was saying say, that yeah, one, of, one of the things that um, writers may not think is a gift, but it's one of the best gifts you can get as a writer is the rejection letter when they tell you why. Oh, good. One. Well, did it with your first book, I think I was reading you'd had over 70 rejection letters. 78, like but not that I'm counting. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I had 78 rejections for the first book. But, you know, it, it's not like my first book then got published with the publisher 79 and everything was great. 
Uh, my second book was rejected by nearly every, every publisher as well. Uh, you know, uh, and um, you, by the time I published a third book, yeah, I had a guaranteed publisher, but it was still, you know, it was still hard. Um, I remember um, what the, 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 the person who rejected me and telling me why. Oh, this yeah. Guy. Now, uh, the, the one thing I will say about that is that a lot of times that type of response is not pleasant. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily nurturing. A lot of it's, thank God for the, the, the editor who will actually patiently tell you why this didn't work. This guy was not that. You know, he was actually a total jerk. I would have, I would have used a stronger verb if it was a different podcast. <laughs> but he, it's, it's, but he was a total jerk. Um, absolutely condescending, dismissive, downright insulting. This sort of, as for me, I prefer a book where. And I, and I look at all his, his 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 points, and I said, you know what? Regardless of how much of a jerk this guy is. These are valid points. And I went and I made all the changes that he suggested. I made all the changes that he suggested. And then I sent it to a different agent because screw that guy. <laughs> I, I love that. But I love that you actually were able to take it in, mm-hmm. make the adjustments because you actually saw it yeah. made it, we'll say it, it made it a better piece. Would you say that, or it made it way better? It made it a bit a piece that an agent would would pick up. I just didn't send back to him because you know I wouldn't. E- I wouldn't either. Yeah. I mean, at that yeah, point, I, I like, mean, you yeah, want you want it. Listen, I think you want to, especially in this creative process, right? You want to, I won't say surround yourself, but certainly have those people around you, like you said, that are nurturing, that are nurturing your voice. Mm-hmm. You know, Jocelyn talked about, you know, she's in a moment in her life right now where. When I came to her to invite her to be a part of the podcast, mm-hmm. it was the perfect timing because she's nurturing her voice. She's nurturing and she's mm-hmm. nurturing it through writing. And yeah. so to have someone, myself, in this this platform or this setting, right, mm-hmm. to say, I want you, I want you to share your your story. I want you to to shape that, to work on it. And there is no kind of wrong or right to this. I want you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know, one thing I wanted to go back is, you know, um, you know, the, that first night we met, we had that we were chatting and we were talking about, you know, we live, we live in such a visual society mm-hmm. and that so often, you know, we are swiping or tapping or, you know, tight or whatever, reposting and really not even paying attention to the stories mm-hmm. behind the pictures, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so that's also part of the reason I was so excited to actually have that conversation with you because to the value of storytelling, I think is even more crucial, important. You know, I want to encourage more people to to take a moment and again to express, to write however they choose to write, even if it's the caption. Yeah, you know, we have to. What I find with with, with people who don't tell stories, people who, um, particularly younger people, but actually everybody, is that you find two reactions. One is my trauma is so vast I couldn't possibly write about this um it's it's you know my my or my life is so difficult or just these pressures are why i can't write or you have the other side my life is so privileged i got nothing to write about um i or you know my life is so sort of without i don't i don't have a story or so on and what 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 these two completely opposite people don't realize is that they're manifesting the very same response which is shame and 
particularly those of you know listeners who are going to write about themselves um let's talk about that for a little bit is that that i i there's too much terrible there's too much this i couldn't write about it or there's not enough i'm too privileged and blah 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 both are shame responses and what you want to move from is this sort of self-laceration or this self-consciousness to self-curiosity. So I would say to somebody, I want you to write to write a, a story about your worst trait. Ooh, I, that actually, and, and oh, everybody loves that. I love because that. They get to, they, yeah, because they get to tear themselves a new one. I'm like, no, this is not, no, you feel the paper. I want you to write about your worst trait as if you are a curious journalist being thoroughly impartial. And if you think that's hard, when I said to them, tell me the best, write something about the best thing about you. And every, that people hate that even more. Because I want to seem so pompous. I want to seem so arrogant. I don't want to be full of myself. It's like you're not writing about your, your pompous and so your arrogance. You're writing from a point of curiosity. If you are, uh, you have to think of yourself as this journalist for yourself. And I apply that with fiction, where I look at myself as this journalist for imagined people. It's going and get the story. It's um, so if you're going to tell me about the worst thing about you, what are if, if, if you are a journalist writing about the worst thing about the person beside you, you have to get the facts. You have to get the raw data. You have to not necessarily fall into this thing, which is something we all fall into, which is reader, please like me. You know, or listener, please like me. That's so true. It's hard to let go of it. Uh, Robin Lemley, fantastic nonfiction writer, talks about this in this essay where he talks about when he had these, this sort of pet rat. Let's not judge. Um, so he has this pet rat and he builds this whole sort of tone for the, I think, the pet rat. And then he sets the tone afire. And the very first time he wrote that essay, and Robin's going to kill me if I get it wrong, the line was, Thankfully, nobody was harmed. I said, like, why do you think he starts the essay that way? He ruined a lot of things by starting it that way, but he couldn't get past, reader, please like me, even when I'm doing a terrible thing. And the problem with that is not only do you force the reader, you're, for, you're manipulating the reader to like you, you also kill the drama of the story. If you start off by telling me, everybody made it out alive, like, then why am I reading your damn story? It's like, all right, you survive. Don't care. So true. <laughs> it's it's people wonder. You ever wonder the very fact that you're writing nonfiction sometimes mean that you have gone past the thing you're writing about. So how come nonfiction still fills us with so much tension and and so on? We know the person made it through the shark attack. They're right here writing the book about the shark attack. So why are we still filled with suspense? Why are we trembling in our bones knowing the guy already survived the damn shark attack? Because the person is still writing about it as if he were there. They're writing out about it without pers perspective. Perspective is great, but perspective can kill a story. Mm. Because you already give him in, it's like you're giving him in a DVD commentary with the movie. Oh, I never thought about it that way. That's because we're old and we get that illusion. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yes. but it, yeah, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's, it's the funniest thing when you have to tell a student, you need to get out of the way of your own story. You are the problem. Yeah. So you are the person in the way of your own story. Get out of it. 
it's it's um god i feel like i'm teaching a class i met this really really quick you have two people you have narrative self and you have reflective self and narrative self tells us it as it happened reflective self tells us how to feel about it both are important but we get them confused mm. um sometimes i don't need to know your reflection and when you were you said something bad to your mom that's you begging me to like you what i want is you tell me it's like i tell people i don't want to know I don't want to know why you're getting a divorce. I want to see how you're, you fell apart. And, and that, hitting that mix between narrative self and reflective self is, to me, how you tell a good story. Uh, yes, I agree. I love that. You have, you, again, mm -hmm. it's finding that, the, the balance and certainly being able to let go of self, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. what, and your preconceived notion of what, well, I love you even saying, please like me. Mm -hmm. I think especially especially living how we are today, this year, it's like so much of what we put out, we'll say yeah. publicly, is about please like me. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I mean, so many memoirs, I've said that basically, I'm like, why did you give us 200 pages? You could have just put a printer, please, please like me button and be done with it. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That was yeah. You know, I, I, again, that's... Um, it's, it was interesting in, in choosing the piece that I um, was going to share from that I'd written on this. And I was going back and forth on some of the pieces and, and listening to you now talking about that and perspective and like me and all mm -hmm. of those voices were playing into what I um, actually what I ended up choosing not to share. Right. Uh, and it's, and it's, I, it's, I, I pre and it, again, it had to do with, me and um, uh, things that happened to me uh, when I was molested mm -hmm. when I was like 13. Mm -hmm. And instead of writing that or sharing that piece, I actually talked about me getting sober and that, and mm -hmm. that has a small moment in that same story because yeah. of looking back. I'm curious, me interviewing the interviewer, what goes into a decision that a story needs not to be told? That's very interesting you say that because I, um, I, that was one of the questions that came up both for mm -hmm. myself and I was talking to two people that I trusted and even our, the, our, my producer here, Phineas, we were mm -hmm. talking because we actually recorded the story of mm -hmm. me being molested and went back and forth, went back and forth and, and, um, there's a level of rawness or, or, mm -hmm. you know, in the one story and, and it got to the it got to the point where I thought if I share that story, a few things that came up, it didn't feel like it supported the other stories in the season, that they mm -hmm. were all part, they were all one. It felt like it was on its own. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to like, well, why did I had to look at that, kind of remove myself. Mm -hmm. And with that, and I think some of it is I I wanted to be liked. If mm -hmm. I shared this, would I still be? How would people react? Would it take people mm -hmm. out? Was it as well written mm -hmm. as the one I ended up sharing in the sense of the the story? Yeah. Listen, I will ultimately, mm -hmm. I know I will share it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was interesting, some of the sharing what you just said. That story became more about me, whereas this story became more about the story, the one I ended mm -hmm. up sharing about getting sober. Right. Um, and, and, and it came more about the other writers that are part of a part of this podcast, they mm -hmm. seem to support each other more uh, yeah. than the other one, you know, and that's, and yeah. 
Yeah, I wonder sometimes, one of the things I, I ask people um, when they're writing about themselves, it's funny, I, I mean, I write fiction, but I tend to t- teach nonfiction more than fiction, actually. You know, those who can do teach. Sure. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I, 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 I ask people is, are you confessing or are you revealing? And both have their place, but sometimes you, what you may be doing is just confession, which is fine. But what we really need is revelation. And if it's something that is just telling something as it is, it's bearing witness, it's important. But what may even be more important is what did you learn from it? Or, and not every experience is a teachable, is a teachable moment and they shouldn't be. But it's, yeah, it's what is, the, what, are the, what is the insight that you think you're gained and you can share? Agreed. From what you're, you know, from what you're talking about, and sometimes it's, it's, it, it just, it doesn't mean that the story isn't valid. It means that there may be more to the story. Yes, I agree. Uh, with, and, I, I, yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with what you, everything that you said, and even before. Mm-hmm. And I know that's that's that was part of the the decision making process of why I ended up not sharing the other story, because mm-hmm. I, I don't think uh, I think there's still um, writing to be done. If, mm-hmm. if that makes sense about that yeah. story, because I think there's a mix of stating something, of just getting it out there. It's not it's not as much of telling the story as it is to revealing, so, yeah, or or, be, or even being liked. You know, mm-hmm. like here's something about me that was so traumatic, but if you still like me, you still love me, then I then I'm worthy type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's it, again as I say, you you. It's hard. It's it's very hard for us to get out of the way of our own stories. I agree. And some people don't do it, and some people never do it. Um, and I, you know, I mean, good luck to them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you do. You know, you do have to. Um, you know, turn yourself into a character. I think it was. Um, what is his name? I'm going to get his name wrong. Is it Philip Lapidi? It may have been him. It may not be him has a very good essay about on turning yourself into a character. Oh, I don't, that, I don't know that I've definitely have to I have to that. check it out because I know, you think I know because I teach the essay every year and I can't remember if it's Philip who wrote it or Philip wrote a story on his body, which is also really, really good because he just, mm. it's, 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 he has a, you know, he has a, he, again, he gets rid of the self-loathing and our, and the self-love or self, the self-conceit and you can talk about, you know, his first line is, I think, I'm a man who tilts. It's, I love that line. Yeah. And, and um, possibly the, the, most, the least sentimental description of a penis ever. <laughs> um, you know? <laughs> uh, but it's, 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 a, it's a crucial piece in the sense of how do you write about yourself? Sure. And does that mean sometimes you need distance? Yeah. Well, sometimes distance is emotional, you know? Sometimes distance is, is not necessarily time. I agree. You also need distance to be fair to yourself. Because I think we think sometimes being unfair to ourselves is some sign of good dramatic writing. I mean, I've read students' story and I go, I know this is about you, but I don't believe you. Oh, that, I, that's interesting. Yeah, because yeah, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I just don't subscribe to that ever. Nobody, nobody's this terrible. Sure. Or nobody's as good. Knowing students is usually about here's a horrible thing I did last summer. Right. As I I'm not flattening what you did last summer, but I'm pretty sure you're not that bad. 
Right, 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 right. <laughs> right. I, I listen. I'm a firm believer in that, and, and especially in people sharing or he, journaling or writing to heal, to get go, let go of something or whatever. It is an aspect mm. of yourself. It is not all of you. you right. Know? Yeah, and that's one thing I wanted to find in all of these stories is, you know, for people to come and 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 share about either a moment or a period of time in their story, you know, mm-hmm. that they um, ended up surviving or they, you know, overcame or, or learned something about themselves and, and they yeah. were able to build from that. And it was, it wasn't something that just defined them as, mm-hmm. and, and that that's what they carried through them. Marlon, I, I just have to say it is, it has been such a joy oh. spending time with you. I really appreciate you coming in and sharing and talking and talking about writing and, and, and what it means to you and certainly allow me to kind of share what it means to me because, you know, I, I love storytellers and I love writers mm-hmm. and I wanted to, you know, my producers and I wanted to start this podcast because we believe in the art of storytelling. Right. You know, we believe that we all have a story to tell and mm-hmm. we can, and we can connect to sharing those stories. So I really appreciate you coming and, and sharing this with me. And, and I'm going to say right now, you already said yes to coming on for season two. <laughs> <laughs> you trying Which to get I, online to bind me to my promise. Yes. Yeah. We're saying we're, we're now it's, it is on record mm-hmm. that you are coming on. So I love it. And, uh, and I promise, you know, I will still buy you that meal and a cup of coffee. Okay. I'm fine. Cool. I'm going to hold you to that. You're done, done. Well, thank you so much, um, and thank you. And and everyone, uh, wait, Marlon, do you want to say when the podcast, the new season launches? Man, I would if I knew. I think soon. It is soon. Let's just say it, it is it is launching soon. So everyone go listen to that as well as listen to, to ours if you haven't listened to. So um, thank you. Thank you, Marlon. Thank you, everyone. And enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Marlon James for sharing your time and your talents with us and your joy of writing. We've found great joy this season from our writers and from all of you. Thank you for supporting me and not just pretty pictures. We'll be back soon with season two. Thanks for listening.